everybody. I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, if you haven't already turned there, been there in your reading this week as we're continuing to walk through the Bible in Bible 2020. I'm going to walk through Luke, chapter 24, tonight. After what we've sang and after what Paul shared with us at the beginning from 1 Corinthians 15, a thought just occurred to me as I was sitting down there. It's something like this, but if if there is a reality tonight for every believer in this room that should captivate our minds and our hearts, if there is a reality should, that should give strength to our weary soul, if there is a reality that should give unwavering hope for the future in very uncertain times, if there is a reality that should energize you every morning when your eyes open and your feet hit the ground, if there is a reality that should stir us to holiness, if there is a reality that should propel us on mission to go anywhere, anytime, anyhow, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, if there is a reality that does all of this, here it is, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures he was buried and on the third day rose from the dead according to the scriptures now, I just got to be absolutely honest with you I don't know why this week as I was studying and I was reading and it's it's not even Easter right and we're talking about the resurrection it became alarmingly uh, just an awareness in my own life how little how little I apply the realities of the resurrected Christ to my everyday life as a believer. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. Not a dead Christ, a living Christ. He's alive. And he's living within his people. He lives within us by the power of his spirit. It's an incredible reality we're going to look at tonight. And even continue to look at it in a sense over the next few weeks through Acts. And then we're going to take a look at Romans as we continue to walk through the Bible together. But tonight we're going to look at the resurrection together. I'm thrilled. I couldn't wait to get here tonight and walk through this together with you. Now, in the same sense, Proverbs chapter 13 says the opposite. And Proverbs 13 says this. You don't have to look there, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does that mean? Well, basically what Proverbs is saying is when a reality does not turn out like we expect, it makes our heart sick. Ever experienced that? Or when that relationship or that experience or that new job or that thing that we just can't wait, when, when the reality of that does not quite turn out like we thought it was going to, it says it makes our hearts sick according to the book of Proverbs. Now as we turn to Luke chapter 24, we have a group of heart sick disciples. You come out of chapter 23 of Luke, and as you've been reading through that, they are fearful, and they are withdrawn, and the disciples of Jesus have scattered, and they are defeated, if you will, because all hope 
from their vantage point at this point in history seems to be lost. Their teacher, their leader that they have spent the last three and a half years of their life with is dead. They witnessed it. He was tried by the religious authorities. He was declared to be a blasphemer. He was declared to be a threat to Rome. They handed him over to Pilate. Pilate said, I think this man is innocent, but do with him as you wish. The crowd screams, crucify, crucify, crucify. Jesus Christ has been crucified, and he is now dead. If you read through Luke 24, the disciples... Their hope is now lost, they believe, because even Luke chapter 24, verse 20 and 21, one of the disciples sums it up. This is one of the guys on the road to Emmaus. He said it this way, our chief priests and rulers delivered him, Jesus, up to be condemned to death. They crucified him. Verse 21, he says, but we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. As if to say, now it certainly doesn't look like this dead man is going to be able to redeem anybody. He's dead. The eleven are scattered. They're afraid. Judas has betrayed Jesus and since gone out and hanged himself. Peter, their leader, has publicly denied Christ three times. I don't want to be associated with him and all that might come out of that. Peter says, I don't even know him. All of this, even though as you've been reading through the gospel, you know that over and over and over, Jesus declared to his disciples the reality, guys, I'm going to suffer. Guys, I'm going to suffer. In fact, he says this, Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, must be killed, and on the third day be raised. So he had told them over and over and over, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised. And yet at this point, it appears to his disciples, all hope is lost. Why? John 20 verse 9 says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must be raised from the dead. They didn't get it. I think we can give a little allowance to the disciples, right? You're there. You think, well, it's going to be different for me. I'm going to trust what Jesus says. You see Jesus dies. He died on the cross. You see all that he experienced, and your hope might be lost too. So at this point, as we come out of chapter 23 into chapter 24, it's really a dark scene, if you will, around the lives of Jesus' disciples. Jesus, their leader, is dead. We come to chapter, in fact, I'm going to start in chapter 23, verse 50. I'm going to show you a quick scene here that in the midst of all this darkness, if you will, is a picture, a jewel of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. So Jesus is dead. The disciples have scattered. It's Friday afternoon, and it's almost sunset. The Passover is coming. Remember, in Jewish reckoning, a new day begins when the sun goes down. So they're trying to get everything done before the sun goes down and the Sabbath begins. Chapter 23 of Luke, verse 50. I'm going to read a few verses, make a couple comments, then on into chapter 24. 
It says, now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council. What council? This Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, the council of Jewish authorities who had sentenced Jesus to die. Joseph was a member of that council. But the Bible says he was a good and righteous man, verse 51, who had not consented to their decision and action. He did not go along with the sentence upon Jesus that he should die. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a true follower of the one true God. He believed Jesus was Messiah. Verse 52, I want you to see what this man does. Verse 52, it says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That's hugely significant for you and I, because up to this point, I want you to remember, if you read over in the Gospel of John, it says that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. He had been keeping it secret because it was going to cost him to publicly come out, if you will, and be a follower of Jesus Christ. But he's seen what happens to Jesus, verse 52. He goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus, verse 53. Then he takes it down in broad daylight, Friday afternoon. He wraps the body in a linen shroud. He lays him in a tomb cut in stone, his own tomb, where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation. Watch this, verse 54. And the Sabbath was already beginning. It was already Sabbath. Why is that significant? It's significant because I want you to see the testimony here very early on that Luke, the author, chooses to drop in here. The testimony of a true follower of Jesus. Here's why. This secret disciple now goes public. This leader of the Sanhedrin realizes, even though I've been following Jesus in secret, I now publicly go and ask for his body. I'm going to treat and care for this body of Jesus, even though my group that I'm a part of, my future, my reputation as a leader, he puts it all on the line. He publicly goes and touches a dead body on the cross. He carries this dead body and wraps it in a shroud on the Sabbath, places him in his own tomb, Joseph's tomb. Why? Because this private disciple now goes public with his faith and he determines that Jesus is absolutely worth it. This is a huge testimony here to a man who says, Jesus is worth more than my social position. He's out of the Sanhedrin at this point. He's out of the temple at this point. It costs him everything. We... He, he determines that Jesus is greater than my religious tradition. He's greater than all my earthly goods. And buried right here in the Gospel of Luke is an incredible picture of this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I want to tell us a lot, but I want you to know as you read this about Joseph of Arimathea, it cost him everything to do what he did and publicly identify with Jesus. It's a picture of a follower of Christ whose life has been transformed by his faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Read on, verse 55. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And chapter 23 comes to a close. So the sun sets. It's Friday. Go into Friday night. 
Saturday morning, if you will, the sun rises, it's the Passover day. Saturday evening comes, the sun sets again, and now as the sun goes down on Saturday evening in the Jewish reckoning, it's now the first day of the week. That next morning, we would call it Sunday, and on that Sunday morning is where the Bible picks up in Luke 24, verse 1. Jesus was dead. Jesus has been buried. And chapter 24, verse 1 begins with a great word, but... But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. And they took spices they had prepared. Now, the day is a group of women that were going to go finish the burial, the, the preparation of his burial, and these spices that they were taking. They took the spices that they had prepared. It says, verse 1, verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went into the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Stop right there for just a second. Do you know why the angel, and you read from other accounts in the Gospels, uh, the Bible, uh, Luke doesn't choose to tell us as much about the angel rolling away the stone, but the other Gospels do. Do you know why God chose to roll the stone away from the opening of the tomb? You say, well, just so Jesus could get out. <laughs> Listen, do you think Jesus had any problem getting out of the tomb? He walked through the tomb, right? He could move through the grave clothes. The tomb is open so you and I have a testimony and the witnesses could go inside and see there is no body. He is not here. He is risen. Don't believe it was so Jesus could get out. Verse 4. So they go in, they see that there's no body, and verse 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, I love this statement, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you here looking for a dead man? He's not dead. Why are you seeking the living one here among these tombs in the place of death? Verse 6, the angel declares the greatest reality in human history, and it says this, he is not here but has risen. Hallelujah. The same way that the angels announced the birth of the Lord Jesus in Bethlehem with the angelic host, the angel declares the reality that the one you saw hanging on the cross, he's not here, he has risen. And this is a big truth that I want us to resonate on tonight. And I'm going to give you several big ideas, application points that will flow out of it. The big truth is obvious. And I pray, even like Paul said earlier, that, that the gospel, that the message of the gospel, the good news can become old news to us. Man, I hope we are reignited and invigorated with the reality that our king is alive. He has risen from the dead. And the big truth for us tonight is simply that. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive. Your Savior is alive. My Savior is alive. My sin bearer is alive. Jesus Christ is living. Continues on in verse 6 and says, remember how he told you. We talked about it last week a little bit. How important remembering rightly is to our journey of faith. He said, do you not remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Do you not remember him telling you that? In other words, it's as if to say the angel is declaring here, nothing that has occurred over the last three days has occurred apart from the foreordained plan of God. I want to declare everything that has transpired has happened perfectly according to exactly the way he declared it would happen. The perfect foreordained plan of God. Verse 8, he says, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they, again, this is the women, told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So the women come to the tomb, they receive the announcement from the angel, they travel back to the eleven who evidently were gathered in a room for fear of the Jews, and they receive this message. Verse 10, Luke elaborates a little more on it. He says, now it was Mary Magdalene. We'll say more about that in just a minute. And Joanna, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. It's an incredible note here. This is the first group of human beings that get to declare that Jesus has risen from the dead is this group of women. Mary Magdalene being one of them. First person to declare the reality of the resurrection is Mary Magdalene. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. So they come to the disciples, gathered there for fear. When they hear the report that Jesus is alive and the body is not there, he, he is risen. It seemed like a myth to them, a fable. So we can't believe it. Again, we've got to cut some slack to the disciples here. All that they had seen the day before, all that they experienced. I mean, their mind has to be numb with everything that's happened. The women run in and they say, listen, we went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. We went in and angels came and appeared to us. And they declare that he's not here. He's risen. And the disciples say, I just, I don't think I can even believe that. Verse 12. But Peter, now listen, we give Peter a hard time, and Peter definitely had his faults, but it says, all the disciples, Peter, rose and ran to the tomb. And the Gospel of John gives us a little more insight into this as you put together the Gospels to get the full picture of all that happened. We know John went with him, but I just have to imagine at this point, Peter in his mind is hoping with all the hope that is within him, Man, I hope what they've just told me is true. I mean, you got to know what's going through Peter's mind. The last time he saw the face of Jesus, he was rejecting Jesus. The last time he had seen Jesus face to face, he, would, he was denying him there in that courtyard. He says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And he had to be thinking, man, I hope what they're telling me is true. He's stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at all that had happened. Even Peter don't get, he doesn't get all that's happening and all that God is doing here. Now what I want to do at this point is I want to kind of pause for a second. And I want us to look at the whole situation this way. So what we have at this point is we have an empty tomb. We have a proclamation of angels that Jesus is alive. And I have a couple questions for you here that's going to guide our time. And even as we go into some big ideas here in just a moment. We know Christ is risen because we have the benefit of looking back from time. Those that are there, don't, they're not completely convinced of this yet. But here's what I want us to look at. Two things. 
What does the risen Christ do? And what does the risen Christ say? Jesus is going to appear to his disciples. He's going to manifest himself alive to many groups of people. What does he do and what does he say? Let me give you some examples. First, what does the risen Christ do? Number one, he appears to Mary Magdalene. We mentioned that earlier. Now again, Luke doesn't tell us a great deal about this. Luke just makes reference to it. John, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 20 verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. John chapter 20 tells them an encounter there at the tomb that the Lord Jesus manifested himself to Mary Magdalene and they spend time in this conversation with one another and the Lord Jesus opens their eyes to see who he is as the resurrected Christ and she's changed forever by the reality of the resurrection. Now I love, I love the fact that the first person that the risen Christ appeared to is Mary Magdalene. So if you know Mary Magdalene's story, you know it's Mary Magdalene in the Gospels that was possessed by multiple demons that Jesus cast out the demons. You know it's Mary Magdalene that had an incredibly immoral, wicked, lurid past. And it's Mary Magdalene who knelt down at the feet of Jesus in the house of the Pharisees and pulled out the, the vial of oil and anointed his feet for burial. And Jesus said, and they said, why is she doing that? And Jesus said, she's doing that because she's been forgiven much. She loves much. And here from a human perspective, the person you might think who's the least worthy for the risen Christ to make his first appearance the person who first announces that he is risen was none other than Mary Magdalene. Hallelujah for the grace of God. Isn't that an incredible picture? Mary Magdalene. So he appears and he meets with Mary Magdalene. He meets with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. You can read that again. You've read that this week in Luke chapter 24. It says this, verse 32. They said to each other, Again, I'm not going to take time to read the whole account, but it's where they're walking alongside the road and this stranger kind of comes and starts walking along with them. It's just kind of comical. And they're talking about all the events that have happened in Jerusalem, but Jesus doesn't reveal who he is. And he says, hey, what are y'all talking about? What's going on? And they're like, are you the only person around here that know what's going on? And it's Jesus they're talking to. And then he reveals himself and manifests himself to these two disciples, these obscure, no-name disciples that we get very little information about anywhere else in Scripture, the Bible seems to indicate it's a second group of people that Jesus made himself known to and appeared to. These obscure, no-name disciples. Here's what it says, verse, 20, uh, verse 32 of chapter 24. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us along the road, while he opened up to us the Scriptures, and they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who had gathered together. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed. So here's these two obscure disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus walks and spends time with those two disciples and teaches and communes with them. He meets with these disciples. The Bible says Jesus appeared to Peter, Luke 24, 34. So that tells us that he appeared to Peter. 1 Corinthians 15 says he appeared to Peter more than once. Peter's life had been changed. Peter, again, all that he could remember was the last time he had seen Jesus, he'd blown it. And of all the 
11, Jesus singles out Peter and meets with Peter and appears to Peter individually as if to say, Peter, I'm not surprised a bit by what happened. In fact, Peter, if you remember, I told you you were going to blow it. That doesn't change my purpose or my love for you at all, Peter. The point is this, the risen Christ meets with Peter. And the Bible says he met with over 500 of other disciples. He met with the 11 over and over multiple times in that room where they had locked the doors for fears of the Jews. And the locked door didn't keep Jesus out. You know what happened? He just walked right through the wall and said, boom, there he was. It's as if he teleported in and met with all his disciples. John 20, he meets with a few of his disciples on the Sea of Galilee there several days later. And they have a meal together and they commune together and they fellowship together. And over and over, here's what I want you to see. What did the risen Christ do very early after he came up out of the tomb? Watch this. Here's your big idea number one. The risen Christ abides with his people. And it just jumped off the page to me in a way I don't think it ever has before. Of all the things the risen Christ could do, he didn't go to the mountain and announce his triumph. He didn't go into the temple and you know, say, I told you so, look, I'm alive. He communed with his disciples and he walked in fellowship with them. Here's a great truth for you this morning, beloved. That, that the resurrection of Jesus will change our lives. Here's the big idea. The risen Christ abides with his people. What's this? That's what he did then. That's what he does today. The resurrection should awaken us to the reality, beloved. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ by faith and you've repented and Christ is your Lord and Savior and Master, there is not a moment, a second of any day that you have to live out of intimate fellowship with the risen Christ. Not a moment. Not a second. No decision you have to face. No trouble you have to wrestle with. No fear of persecution that might come your way because it's coming their way. But Jesus walks with and talks with and meets with his disciples. And it's exactly what he does today. What does the risen Christ do? The risen Christ abides with his people. What does the risen Christ say? We'll look in verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to walk down through these final verses and we'll draw out a few big ideas and close. This is what the risen Christ does. He abides with his people. What does the risen Christ say? Verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. So now we go to that scene of the disciples gathered again. They're in some room. Maybe it's the same upper room. For fear of the Jews, they're, they're again, they've, they've scattered. And Jesus appears in their midst and he says to them, peace to you. Peace to you. If you write in your Bible, I encourage you to circle that little phrase, peace to you. It's the, the same idea that he says back in John 14 when he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. This kind of peace that steadies our souls, dissolves our fear, and rules in our heart according to Colossians. The peace of Christ should rule in our hearts by faith. And here are these disciples who they think the world is unraveling, if you will. And Jesus comes to them and says, hey, peace to you. Peace to you. That's what he says. 
They were startled and frightened. I guess so. They were just looking around. They locked all the doors and bam, Jesus appears right in their midst. It's incredible. Right in the middle of the room. They were frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. I mean, they think he's this spirit. They don't understand a resurrection body. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. That it is me. In other words, you're learning something here about the nature of the resurrection and the resurrection body. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. In other words, this is not some kind of spirit being floating around. This is a literal physical, bodily, resurrected Savior who is the forerunner of the same kind of resurrection we're going to have someday. It's not a spirit floating around. He eats. It's a literal, bodily Physical resurrection. It's a glorified body that he had. Verse 39, see my hands, my feet, touch me. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? <laughs> I just think that's funny. Hey, listen, I'm risen from the dead. Look at my hands, look at my feet. Y'all got anything to eat? Why does he say that? Again, he's revealing to them that he's not some phantom. He is a glorified, resurrected, literal, physical, bodily resurrection. The same type that we will experience in that day when Christ returns. While they still, verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words. That I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now, this is huge what Jesus says here. I want you to hang with me. He says, I spoke these words to you. Do you remember? He says, while I was still with you. That everything written about me. In the law of Moses. Summation of the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets. The Psalms. Must be fulfilled. He said, don't you understand that everything I've said and everything that has been accomplished is perfectly in line with everything that has been written in the scriptures from Genesis all the way through the prophets, through the Psalms. He says, everything written about me, verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Your capacity to understand divine truth is a gift from God. He opens their minds and gives them now the ability and it all comes together and makes sense. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. What did the risen Christ do? He abides with his people. What does the risen Christ say? I'm going to give you three quick big ideas. Here's big idea number two. The risen Christ confirms the truthfulness of Scripture. He says, all that is written of me, every jot and tittle, every word that you hold in your hands is absolutely validated because if I do not raise from the dead, it's all a sham. But the centerpiece of this book is the Lord Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead just as this book declared he would. You can trust the scriptures. And that's the point that he communes with his people. He's given us his scriptures. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus confirms that we have a living word from God. 
No other religious book has as the center of it a resurrected Savior who said, I'm going to die and rise from the dead and actually does it. Believe the veracity and the truthfulness of Scripture. Verse 45, keep going. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's what Jesus does as we commune with him. His spirit in us as we bury ourselves in the truthfulness. We continue to grow in our understanding as we commune and abide. And we know him more and more and more and more. And here he is communing with his people, abiding with his people, and opening their minds to understand the truthfulness of Scripture. Same thing he does for you and me. He says, thus it was written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And I want you to see verse 47. Here's something else he says. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus confirms the truthfulness of scripture. Here's big idea number three. The risen Christ calls us to a mission. Risen Christ calls us to a mission, and he says it very clearly here in verse 46 and 47. This truthfulness of who I am, validation of the word of God. Now you have a mission, Peter. You have a mission, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there yet. He's there later. John, Matthew, the disciples in the room. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. The resurrection of Christ gives you a mission to proclaim. He's alive. It is to stir in our hearts and compel. We and we alone have the message of life and hope and transformation that is made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. When we sing songs like Living Hope, like we just did, and when we come together and we see these scriptures, there's to be something that wells up inside of us and says, I've been entrusted with the only mission and message that's going to change the world. And it's the message of Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day for our forgiveness according to the word of God. You have the gospel. You have the mission. It has been entrusted to you. Now listen. These disciples heard this, and over the next 50 years, they literally gave their lives to make known that Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. They gave their lives not for a myth. They gave their lives not for something they knew was not true, but for something they knew to be true, that their Savior had risen from the dead. Ten were martyred. John was dipped in hot oil and abandoned to the island called Patmos. And they gave it because they believed and they saw and they knew their Savior was risen from the dead. Now listen, let me just get really practical with us as a church. When we come to the resurrection, and again, it ought to propel us to make Jesus Christ known. Let me tell you the culture we live in just a bit. If you don't know this, the culture that you live in, the idea that you have a message that apart from Jesus Christ, someone is going to die and spend eternity in hell and you have the only message that can change their life forever, that's not a tolerant message. And you understand, I, I was reading a tweet from a, a, a global mission leader not too long ago, and they sent out this message just to celebrate the fact that a new people group had been reached in the, in the, the depths of the other side of the world. They said, we've gone there, and we've taken the message of the gospel, and we've reached this unreached people group. And the backlash from those on Twitter was this, 
What gives you the right to take that message to those people as if they need you to come in? What authority do you have to take this message of Jesus there? Why are you so arrogant about this message? By the way, that's the culture we live in today that resists. You must go tell. But here, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms to us. Here's your message. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. And by faith and repentance, you can have life in him as Savior and Lord. Secondly, here's the urgency. We go because the Bible declares there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. We and we alone have the only message by which men and women can be saved. Us alone. It is the only message. And the authority is given to you and given to me by Jesus Christ himself who said, All authority has been given to me. Go now and make disciples of all the nations. And by the way, he is a resurrected living Savior who rose from the dead. And if you can provide me with any other person who lives a perfect life, dies on a cross, goes into the grave, and rises from the dead, I might listen to them, but there is no other. There's only one. And we have that message to proclaim and declare. The resurrection ought to propel us to go tell. I was listening to the testimony of an entertainer recently, and he is an unbeliever and a an agnostic wants nothing to do with the gospel, but somehow one of his fans got to him and made known the message of the gospel and, and he rejected it. He didn't want anything to do with it, but he respected that person's efforts to come to him. And here was this unbeliever's quote. He said this, I see the sincerity of this person's belief in their message. He said, how much does a person have to hate someone and believe this message and not tell them? How much do we have to hate someone to have the only message that transforms life of a resurrected Savior and not tell them? Resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms the truthfulness of Scripture. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, this risen Christ, calls you and calls me to a mission. Now I'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play. I'm going to give you one more big idea and we're going to move into a time of response. Fourth big idea is this, and I want us to wrestle with this tonight a little bit. It's this, that the risen Christ demands a response. One thing that Jesus doesn't give us as the risen Christ is the opportunity to be lukewarm or to be apathetic or to be neutral. Thomas was noticeably absent when Jesus first appeared to the 11 in that upper room. He was struggling with the reality, you know, the story of Thomas, that Jesus had literally risen from the dead. And I, you don't have to turn there. And I understand Thomas a little bit. He had put his whole life into following this now dead man. And he maybe felt duped, maybe felt tricked, maybe felt like Judas, that he had been betrayed. We don't know, but here's what happened. John chapter 20, verse 26 says this, and we'll close. The risen Christ demands a response. Verse 26 says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. And he said, 
do not disbelieve but believe in other words you have you must respond the risen Christ demands a response you can either reject and completely run or you can say no he is my Lord and my Savior but there's no option to be neutral Thomas goes on verse 28 and Thomas answered him and said my Lord and my God Jesus said to him if you believe because you've seen me blessed are those us who have not seen and yet believe the message of the resurrection tonight is this if you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord he calls for a response of faith and repentance in who he is and what he's done if you're here and you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and just like that story we saw of Joseph of Arimathea risen Christ does not call us to apathy doesn't call us to being indifferent calls us to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow this living Savior to make him known in the ends of the earth hallelujah Jesus Christ is risen from the dead bow, bow your heads for just a minute in song tonight and we're going to sing several more great truths and just declare this truth in song that our Savior is risen He is alive and we have a message to make known Father thank you thank you for this truth I pray it shapes us and changes us here tonight let us sing with our hearts to the glory and the truthfulness that our King is alive our King is alive we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.